This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 83. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host to the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with the man wearing the Frank the Tank t-shirt. <laughs> it's Brandon Turner. What's up, Brandon? Hey, Josh. Not much. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Doing okay. That's uh, my favorite I'll, shirt. I love that shirt. It's my favorite, Frank. Yeah, the when tank. you wear that thing, it makes me happy. It's like every other day. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> That's the benefit of working out. You know why I'm happy? I'm happy because you're not here in the office with me stinking it up. Good. Yeah, I stink up my own office. Thanks. There you go. There yeah. you go. How, how are things? Things are good. I just went to a meetup of investors that organized kind of from bigger pockets up in Seattle uh, last week, and that was amazing. And I got another one in New York next week. I'm going to. So, nice. uh, yeah, I love those meetups where uh, in, you know bigger pockets members get together and talk and hang out and share and stuff. So if you're not a part of that, people, make sure you set up your keyword alerts at biggerpockets.com/alerts and get a part of that because it's amazing. So and they plug. would set up an alert for like their yeah. local area. Yeah, yeah, like New York or Seattle or whatever. And then you know when those things are happening. So do it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. no, that's great. That's great. Cool, man. Well, all's well on this front. We're just working away, trying to hire a couple people and build the Bigger Pockets team out and trying to make that happen. It's very exciting watching this place grow. So, uh, but with that, we've got a uh, we've got an interesting show today. And before we go there, why don't we get to today's quick tip? All right, today's quick tip, create a mission statement for your real estate business. In this show, we're going to talk about how and why, and our guest is going to share her exact mission statement, and I think you're going to love it. That's all we got. So today's quick tip is get out there and make sure to create a mission statement for your business. It'll help you, at least in my estimation, have some kind of purpose for what you do. So Yeah, yeah. she has some good insight on that today, so we'll talk about it. Today's pro benefit of the week is a reminder to jump into the marketplace. I know we've said this before, but if you are a pro and you are not using the marketplace, you're missing out. So it could be funding, deals, partners, whatever it is you need, go post an ad for it this week and just see if you get any bites. So if you're not a pro, you can become one if you go to biggerpockets.com forward slash get pro, G-E-T-P-R-O, and make sure you check out Josh and my video there. It's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, with that, let's get to the show. Today... We've got Marsha Maynard. So Marsha and her husband, Jim Fisher, own 15 residential rental units, a mixture of houses and duplexes. And, and I believe there's a fourplex or an aplex in there in yep. Vancouver. That's Vancouver, Washington. If you, you didn't know, you just learned. Yeah, there's a Vancouver, Washington. <laughs> uh, today, we're going to talk a lot about landlording with integrity and instituting a slow but steady and powerful strategy for using real estate to help fund your retirement. Cool. Cool. All right. Last thing I want to point out before we get to the show is actually in this show, Marsha, I mean, she has a ton of good tips and stuff, but one of the things that I thought was the coolest, she actually talks about the questions that she asks tenants on the phone before showing them a unit. She goes through a list of questions and she talks about that in the show. And then after the show, she said, well, yeah, Brandon, do you want me just to send you those questions? I'm like, 
sure. And then Josh was like, hey, can we put them on the show notes? So anyway, if you're listening to the show and you want to download those, head over to biggerpockets.com slash show83. Uh, there'll be a link there to download the exact questions that Marsha walks her potential tenants through. So I think you're going to love that. It'll come in pretty handy for you in your landlording business. Yeah, yeah. And you'll learn a lot more about it as yeah. you uh, listen on. So yeah. enough of the chit chat. Why don't we uh, get to this? This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. All right, Marsha, welcome to the show. It is awesome to have you here with us. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Great. Yeah, this is actually our uh, second interview within like a month of somebody from the same town of Vancouver, Washington. I think people are going to think that I'm uh, only picking my you know, local favorites, but yeah, yeah. you're stacking the deck a little yeah, bit. I actually didn't I know. Thought, yeah. I thought it was Longview. Oh, you're right. It was Longview. And those are, how far away is that? Like, uh, it's, a, it's an hour. Okay. Okay. So there's a little bit of a uh, difference. Or there, so. Yeah. yeah. Do, okay. do you guys want to just do your own show? And we I'll might. Disappear? <laughs> yeah. Go take a nap or something, Josh. Now, Van, nice. Vancouver is right down near Portland, correct? You're, you're pretty close to Portland, Oregon. Right, right. Vancouver, Washington State, not to be confused with Vancouver, BC. Yes, which is really frustrating when I tell people one or the other. I don't know. I, I'm sure it's more frustrating for you. You have to always say that, but I don't know. Somebody well, should Vancouver, tell Canada to get Washington, their own. We are the first Vancouver. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, yeah. So, somebody so definitely we're not should. not the biggest. <laughs> that's for sure. Somebody needs to call up Canada and tell them to give us our city name back. But with that, let's get to our interview today. We're going to talk about landlording. We're going to talk about uh, kind of your story, how you got started, what you're doing. So maybe we'll start there. Why did you get into real estate? Like what was your beginning? Okay. Well, I, I rather married into it. 
I got married in July, and afterwards, my father-in-law said, well, welcome to the family business. And I said, what family business? And he said, Fisher (laughs) Properties. I said, cool, because I'd always had an interest in real estate, and I had had um, some experience in Seattle when I lived in a house share situation, and I had gotten into the situation. I realized that there was no rental agreement. The uh, elderly gentleman who owned the house had uh, made all his rental agreements on handshakes. I convinced him to get a rental agreement. That would be a good idea. And uh, there were four rooms. And I quickly learned that you really can only have two nesters in a house, in a house share situation. Because What do you you uh, mean by that? uh, People who really root in and they bring their stuff and they want to have design ideas as to what to do with everything in the house. So if you have too many nesters in a house share situation, it doesn't work. And so I decided to rent out rooms. Uh, subletting. I didn't know that's what it was called at the time. The owner was fine with it. And I put up an ad on the uh, bulletin board at the University of Washington Medical Student School. And I had uh, medical school students coming in uh, and staying for three months at a time. And it was great. I met a lot of great people from around the country. And uh, it was pretty exciting. But I think that I was actually all along primed for real estate investing because one of the first words I learned to spell was monopoly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I went to the I went to the family game cabinet and I had just learned my letters and there was M O N O P O L Y and was, I kept saying sign. that over and over and over again and when I got to school the teacher asked do we know any words already how to spell them and I raised my hand and I said Monopoly, <laughs> and she was so surprised. That's funny. <laughs> I That's loved funny. that game. And then when I graduated from college, um, I asked my brother, my older brother, who happens to be a real estate attorney, I said, "Oh, do you have any advice for the new graduate?" And he looked at me and he said, "Real estate, not plastics." Really? Now, if you ever saw the Graduate movie with Dustin Hoffman, of course, and the. Um, they're convincing him what field to go in. And one guy says one word, plastics. Yeah. My brother said one word, real estate. I go. guess it's actually two words. <laughs> Brandon, Brandon doesn't quite understand what the graduate is. I, I've never seen the graduate, you know. Uh, yeah. It's back in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when when was this uh, time frame that, you're, that you got into this? Like when was Seattle renting out the subletting? When was that? Mm-hmm. Eight years in Seattle, beginning in 83, 1983. Okay. Um, married in 1995, and that was when I married into the business. And so I've been actively landlording um, with our own rental property for 19 years. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So, and just a a really quick kind of bit of background. How did your in-laws end up getting into the business? Or were they born into it or married into it? (laughs) Well, my father-in-law was a pastor at a church. And he had left the church, well, not left the church, but he had stopped doing that kind of work. And he got uh, his real estate license and he tried uh, realtoring for a little while, didn't like it. And so he got a job at the city's assessor's office. So his job was going around assessing buildings. And he came across a duplex that he liked that somebody said, hey, there's a good deal on it. And he decided to buy it. And later he sold it to my husband and his brother. Um, for uh, each put a thousand dollar investment in it, and Dad took the note, and that note's been paid off now. But it's been great. 
Well, no, I, I noticed really quick. I, I know, that's the kind of thing that I think happens up in the podunk. Uh, you know, you buy it and your sister and your sister's sister buys it and you're renting to your cousin. Is that, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't know. You know, no, yeah, I don't know. You, can you tell me? Is that Brandon? Hi. I don't know what you're talking about, John. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I'm curious though about that actually on the on the family thing. I mean, what are your thoughts on invest? I mean, clearly you worked at least you worked close with your family. Maybe you still do. I'm not sure. But um, what are your thoughts on working close with family like that? Having a family business. Well, it's important to get along with your family. That's for sure. And I um, married into a great family. And uh, we, there was a lot of sweat equity. They kept talking about sweat equity, and it took me a while to get my wrap my head around what that meant. And I just didn't really like that idea of sweat equity. I sort of like <laughs> the idea of equity itself. But we uh, have been, you know, quite fortunate in the years that we've owned the properties. Unfortunately, in 1996, my brother-in-law died suddenly of a, a heart attack, oh. and um, we had been talking uh, about getting our uh, business into an LLC and getting it set up for things. And we had delayed doing that. And we found out that it was not good to own real estate with other people if you didn't have a really strong business structure, because then the, the process after death was much more difficult to go through. So we immediately got our LLCs in place. And uh, we, you know, just shored up and uh, it remained really strong. Now, my mother and father-in-law, they're in their 80s now, so they're not actively involved in working with the properties and the management and uh, running of all the real estate business comes down to my husband and I now. Hey, so so I've got a question on that and I hope I don't mean to stoke on a tragedy but I guess I think it might be helpful to other folks who are listening. You said that setting up a business structure is uh, going to be more helpful. So I wonder if you could possibly share with us what 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 are the challenges that you might face if you you know, do a deal with somebody where somebody passes away and you don't have a business entity. What, mm-hmm. what kind of what kind of challenges did, did you actually go through? Well, you know, we had to do all the properties through the probate process. And one of the things that happened is my brother and sister-in-law lived in Oregon and we lived in Washington. I mean, we're sister cities. We're right sure. here in the same community, but there are different laws that do come into play. And whether you're working in a, a community property state or not, that makes a difference. And then how do how do properties pass on at time of death? Or actually, um, even if it's not a time of death, if some one partner wants out of the partnership, uh, what kinds of uh, steps must one take? And, you know, there's there's a lot of structure for that. And so we got our LLCs. I mean, of course, there was the idea of limited liability protection, but we really sure. looked towards our insurance for that, not so yeah. much our LLC. And we have a, uh, you know, strong umbrella policy. But going to an attorney who specialized in setting up these kinds of business structures, she sat the whole family down and asked really good questions of us so that we could outline exactly how our business ran and look at all the scenarios of what could happen and then what would happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to anybody listening, obviously, Marsha is not an attorney or an accountant. And so obviously we urge you to, you know, talk to your own uh, on these things. But yeah, that's, I think that's really, uh, really good advice. And I guess you get two ends of the spectrum. You get one end of the spectrum where you have new people who are like, oh, well, I can't invest because I got to set up an LLC and I got to do this and I got to do this. And then they get all, you know, they're, they get crazy with what they need to do and they never do anything. And then mm-hmm. on the other end of the spectrum, you get people who, 
say, well, I'm ready to go and they're gunning and they're gunning and they don't think about these things. So, you know, hopefully there's a happy medium somewhere in there where, you know, get the ball moving. And as you do, you know, start getting, you know, your entities figured out and set up and, you know, start protecting yourself. But you had mentioned an umbrella policy. Uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to quickly hit upon that. Uh, can you explain just, you know, I know you're not an insurance person either, <laughs> but what's an umbrella policy and why do you have one? Okay. Before you can buy an umbrella policy, you need to have other insurance policies in place. And uh, different insurance companies, as well as different states, might call them different things. You might have a landlord policy, a rental policy, a fire policy, whatever it is on the structure itself. And oftentimes, those insurance policies come with a, a bit of liability insurance as well. But it's usually not enough, especially if you're in this business and you're you have multiple holdings and then you want to have a bigger policy and an umbrella policy for we hold a one million dollar policy for umbrella. And it's very inexpensive considering the amount of value you get from it. You just never know when something might happen on your property or if somebody might accuse you of something happening that didn't happen. Uh, you want to have uh, as much protections in place as possible. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and you can actually do that as a non-investor too. So if you you know, have your car policy and your house policy and you, you think, hey, you know, I just want to kind of get a little bit of extra protection for whatever reason, you can also do that. So I, I think umbrella policies are great. I think, mm-hmm. uh, I think they're a good Absolutely. idea. So mm-hmm. right on, right on. Yeah. Well, hey, let's go back to your story a little bit and talk about you guys. You said you got married in what was it, 1995? Is that right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, All right. Right. And, right. And, you, and how did, I guess, when did you buy your first investment property, uh, whether it was you or you and your husband? Right. Well, 1995 is when I sort of came into the properties of one house and two duplexes. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. in year 2000, we just happened, somebody at our church was, uh, son was moving out of town and wanted to sell his house. And we, piqued our interest and we asked about it, wasn't even on the market. And we bought a house uh, like that. We got a little mortgage on it. We still have that house, have a good mortgage rate on it and uh, rented it out. And then in 2005, my husband just out of the blue thought we should buy this eight plex I see. So (laughs) we (laughs) ended up buying an eight plex, you know, and it was really four duplexes together. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I love having conversations with investors, whether it's Brandon and I just chatting and, and him saying, yeah, I just, you know, I, I don't know. Everything was okay. I was hanging out last night. And now I have another house. Or, you know, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've had that conversation with, with a lot of you know, active investors who are kind of out there doing their own thing. You always seem to hear that exact same thing. You know, we were just talking to somebody and he had a house and we ended up buying it and it just kind of fell in our lap. And I know we, we've talked about this a few times, particularly we covered it in a recent show with Michael Quarles, but part of you guys actually buying that house or quote, falling into that house, you didn't fall into the house. I mean, you tell people what you do, right? People know that you're a real estate investor and that's part of your own kind of marketing, isn't it? I don't think we've talked as much about our real estate investment enterprise at that time as we do now. Now okay. we're much more open about it. Now we, we actively let people know. But I, I think the most interesting purchase we made, and it seems like we're buying a house or a duplex or an eightplex um, every five years. That seems to be our time frame. Okay. And so we're like already looking. We're, you know, like looking <laughs> for 
2015, here comes another one. But in 2010, that was the most interesting purchase we made because there was a vacant house across the street from our eightplex. And there was some uh, homeless people hanging out on the front porch. And I was and one had broken into one of our units at one time. And I was afraid that some squatting was going to occur. So I got on the phone. I looked up real estate records. I knew how to do all that by this time because I had been buying uh, properties. But I looked up and I, I it my phone calls took me from Vancouver to the Seattle area back to Vancouver and finally I was talking to an estate attorney. I was looking for the person who had control of the property just so they could put a no trespass sign on it. And he says, "Well, the couple who lived there both have died. The house is in foreclosure with two banks and it's on a short sale and we've just turned it over to get it listed with a realtor. You want to buy it?" Mm. And those were the magic words. Yeah. You want to buy it. Yep. And I thought, well, well, we weren't looking for a property right now, but why not? Let's take a look. So we called up the the uh, real estate agent, the listing agent, happened to be an old friend of uh, one of my husband's uh, buddies. Nice. And <laughs> she says, uh, well, I'm going to go put the sign up in the yard today. Come meet me at noon. We went there at noon. There was one other couple there looking at the house. We took a look at the house Within a half hour, we uh, made a cash offer nice. for the asking price, which was 100000 And that particular uh, house now, the real market value is somewhere between one hundred sixty to 180000 Gotcha. And it's rented. And so we have no mortgage on it, which is nice. And we put in about 15000 rehabbing it because it was really, really in poor shape. Uh, smokers you know, big dogs, uh, all the damage that can come from both of those. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's talk about that a little bit. So there's a couple of things that come to my mind. First on the cash offer. So you make the cash offer, put a hundred grand down, you buy the property. It's now worth 160. But from the sounds of it, you have not taken anything out of that property, correct? In other words, you you don't have a note on the property. Correct. Oh, so I assume you, you cash took some cash out or is that not what you did? No, that's not what we did. In fact, our whole strategy is buy and hold. And one of the things that we love to do is pay off properties and have a lot of cash flow coming in and then buying more properties with that cash flow. And of all of our properties, we own 15 rental units, but they're in the form of three houses, two standalone duplexes, and then the eightplex. And only the the eightplex is on two tax lots. So we have two mortgages there and one of the houses, we have a mortgage, but everything else is paid off. So we have a strong cash flow at this point. We like that. That's cool. You know, one thing that I think is interesting about that, you know, a couple of weeks back, I wrote a post called like a slow, boring, awesome way to invest in real estate or something like that. And, you know, I'll link to that in the show notes. But the idea was kind of that same strategy you're talking about is buying rental properties, you know, paying them off as quickly as possible, using the cash flow then to buy more. So I'm wondering... So it's kind of cool that we're talking to you and I just wrote that post, but why is that the strategy you chose? I mean, a lot of people we interview on the podcast are like, you know, they're buying dozens of houses every month and they're flipping and they're wholesaling and they're doing all this stuff and they're just working so <laughs> hard. Why Why do you choose to kind of take it more easily and buy them slower once every five years, pay them yeah, off? Well, you know, we don't do real estate investing full time. Um, my husband is a professional pianist entertainer, um, and I am a professional sign language interpreter. And we absolutely love our careers and we have the real estate and we l- absolutely love our real estate and we love working it together. And it comes to a matter of 
where we put our energies and efforts. And we like to keep all of our rental properties close to our home. We like to own and manage our own properties. We enjoy working with people. We enjoy the concept of landlording and it works for us. We also, you know, are in our 50s now, our late 50s, I might say. And so, you know, that has something to do with it too, you know, because in terms of the the security of certain investments and we're building our portfolio for our retirement cash flow. Yeah, gotcha. I like that. I like that. I really do. I mean, I think people get so caught up in the idea of all these cool strategies that we talk about and that are possible, right? I mean, there's hundreds of ways to make money in real estate and people just get so excited about that. But in reality, like what you're doing is uh, amazing. It's awesome, right? It's just, it's building wealth slowly, one house, one property at a time. And I think well, that's great. And, and let me, let me add to that. I mean, I, I think something else comes into play here. Marsha said that she and her husband both love their jobs, yep. which you know, you'll find a lot of people. In fact, the, you know, the the front page of Bigger Pockets is this lady trying to escape out of a cubicle. Yep. A lot of people hate their jobs, but there are a lot of people who love it. So those folks sit and say, "Well, can I not be an investor?" Of course you can. There's a way to do it. There's a way to love your job and go out and buy it. And you know, maybe you're not going to be as aggressive. And so I think it's fantastic that uh, you know you take it piece by piece, little by little, and grow. And and you know, you're ultimately. I'm going to say this delicately. <laughs> You're closer to retirement than I am. <laughs> so, so, you know, and some people might say, hey, well, when you're closer to retirement, shouldn't you be accelerating? And presumably you guys have been, you know, financially responsible and have been putting money away. So, you know, it, it looks like you're not in a rush to do anything. So, you know, ultimately your strategy should be reflective of where you are and what you're trying to do. So, yeah. You know, well, when I, all my life, I have always made more money than I spent. Yeah. And I love that. And I am not one to hold debt. Uh, we maintain uh, FICA scores at around 800, which allows us to get really good rates when yeah. we do go out for loans yeah. and to get really good prices on things that we're buying. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's funny. This morning, Brandon and I were having a conversation about that very post that he had written. And he had talked about some of the comments that he had gotten and a fair amount of the comments were people talking about, well, I have a, you know, we're, we're a family of four. How do we put money away? That's impossible. You just can't possibly do that. And Brandon and I were talking about it. And, you know, I've, I've got three kids. So I'm a, you know, we're a family of five. It's not easy. It's not easy. But, you know, I, I think ultimately, and listen, you know, some folks who are really making minimum wage, you know, it would be challenging on a minimum wage job for one person. You know, you'd probably have to do some kind of side jobs and other things. But I think, and I believe we had talked about it, it's the richest man in Babylon, right, Brandon? That, that yeah, they talk so. about the first dollar that you make should go towards paying yourself. And paying yourself means mm -hmm. putting money away for savings. Mm -hmm. and, and so I've always followed that plan myself. And, you know, sometimes it makes for skinny months. I'm, I'm not spending money on Starbucks like Brandon. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think, you know, I think if we all, you know, stop and look at our financial pictures, I'd say the vast majority of people can probably find a way, even if it's, if you're in minimum wage, put away 10 bucks a month, you know, mm -hmm. just something so that you start training yourself yeah. to put money away and put that first mm -hmm. dollar away and start to build up that savings. That's all you have to do. 
And an emergency fund is critical. And I would say before you invest in real estate, make sure you have your emergency fund in place. And different, you know, people have different ideas of what that might look like. Some say, oh, six months income. Some say eight months income. Some say 10 months income. Um, Whatever it is, have an emergency plan in place. And when you're in real estate investing, you have to have those resources available for anything that comes up as well. Yeah. That's excellent, excellent advice. Yeah, I, I, I think, I guess I, this is the Marsha show, not the Brandon show, but if I could just offer my <laughs> advice out here real quick. This is what I tell people all the time is that um, going back to what we talked about a, a few minutes ago about, you know, you're investing on the side, it's part-time, this isn't your full-time gig and you love your job. So I always recommend people do a job that you absolutely love. If that job happens to be flipping, if it happens to be wholesaling, if it happens to be creative real estate investing, then do that. But invest in real estate on the side, no matter what you do. So you could be flipping houses and investing in real estate on the side because you could be wholesaling and investing in real estate on the side. You could be a sign language interpreter and rental properties are investing on the side. So do something that you love to do, uh, make decent money at it, and then just live frugally or at least live smart um, like you're doing. And yeah, you can do amazing mm-hmm. things. I think you don't have to flip houses or wholesale just to, you know make it someday and wealthy. So, But some some jobs, admittedly, some jobs that people love to do don't pay anything. Yeah. Yeah, but it's true. But I I, th- I really think like, I don't know, I, I this is, goes back to the, uh, what's that game called? Cashflow 101, the game by uh, Robert Kiyosaki made that game. Anyway, in that board game, like you you start out as a character. You can pick a janitor. You can pick a, like you, you get a, ca- a character at random and you make a certain amount of income. And almost all the time, the janitor making like 20 something thousand a year at the beginning of the game can retire or win the game just as easily, if not easier than the lawyer can, who's making five times more. It's not about how much you make. It's about how much you keep uh, or in how smart you are at handling it. That's my two cents. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Marsha, what do you think? Well, and that is absolutely true. Money management matters. And it means in matters in that it's important and money management matters in terms of all the things that you have to do. And if you don't put some effort and resources in honing a system, an organization, a way of keeping track of your money, a way of investing it wisely, then you're going to folly at some point. And I think that the whole idea of what our approach is, not only are we doing real estate investing, but we are providing homes for people to live in. And we do have um, a mission statement, and that is we strive to provide safe, clean, affordable, comfortable and quiet housing for responsible renters in the neighborhoods of West Vancouver. And so we're, we have a real people focus in our business and we partner with community partners such as the, the local housing, uh, law enforcement, um, you know, in a number of missions in the uh, area where we live so that we're part of this community fabric. And that's real important to us, too. Can you talk about that mission statement a little bit more? Did, is that something that you guys had up front or did that develop over time? Do you recommend a new investor create a mission statement? What, what, what are your thoughts on the whole thing? Absolutely. I think uh, you should have a mission statement. I think you. what happened is that after I married into the business and we started talking as a family and then my husband and I decided to do some investing on our own, we decided to take a marketing class. And that was a very good thing to do. And in the marketing class, they helped us focus on who is our ideal client 
And how are we going to market to that individual? And then what would be the one thing that we can say? I, I have it on my business cards. I tell people, um, oh, yes, I, I invest in real estate and this is what we do. And when we first came up with our mission statement, we strive to provide. At first, we had said we provide. And someone in my local a rental association said, well, you can't guarantee safety. Yep. I thought, you're right. Yep. And then my husband and I, and we love to travel, and we're on the plane, and there the president of one of the airlines comes up and says, we strive for safety. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, okay, great. That's the word they use, because yep. that's what we sh- we're striving to provide, safe, clean, affordable, comfortable, and quiet housing. I love that. And we strive to that. And then all of our policies and procedures then develop around those particular values we have. And when we go out and market, when we when we talk to people in the tenant screening phase, then we say, do you share our values? You know, how do you feel about this and this? And that gets into a real good conversation. And we're able to uh, have much more success in picking good renters, renters that are appreciative of being where they are, who we appreciate having there. Yeah, I, I really like that. I love that idea of having a mission statement that says, here's what we stand for. Here's what we believe. Do you share the, those values with us? And I, I think that's awesome. And on a larger scale, I mean, if you're going to expand, if somebody's listening to the show who maybe has a lot of rentals or wants to get a lot of rentals, the nice thing about that is that you get that that mission statement up front and then all your employees and all your contractors and all your everyone, they understand that this is what we care about. This is what matters mm-hmm. to us. We don't care about, mm-hmm. it's not, yep. we strive, we, we strive to give cheap, low class, you know, <laughs> <laughs> dirty properties because that's it's the awesome, cheapest way to, you know, like, <laughs> like that's <laughs> like, I've, I've dealt with handymen in the past who that's what they believe that we're, Oh, we're a landlord. We want cheap. We want ugly. We want, Whatever's going to get us the quickest, you know, fix for now, you know, grab some duct tape around that pipe because that's going to $10 instead of 50, right? So the idea of having a mission statement that you put out there into the universe, so to speak, lets everyone know this is what we stand for. And I, I think that is an amazing tip. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's great. Well, everyone needs to start with a dream. Yeah. And then and then after that you you visualize your dream, you set up measurable goals, and then you take action, you know, and a, a lot of people aren't taking the action that they need to. And then you need to reflect upon that action that you've taken. And then you need to improve upon that. And our mission statement will change over time. If we decided to expand beyond the neighborhoods of West Vancouver, (laughs) of course, then we'd have to expand our mission statement. And that might come in sometime. That's cool. Hey, just to repeat what you said there, because I love that. I just want to make sure I have this right. You said, number one, you, you dream. And then you said you set goals. And then what was the third one? Do you remember what you said? You take action. Take action. Yeah, I love that. And then reflect. And, and then reflect. And then and you sh- have to have that moment of reflection. And what's key to all of this is that you have to do it with such integrity. You have to landlord with integrity. You have to be honest with yourself and you have to be honest with those that you work with and you need to go forward. And if something's not working, you know, or if you don't have the resources to do something, then face that back and then do something about it. And then that's the moment of reality, that reality check where then you can step forward and improve upon what you're doing. 
Yeah, I love that. Okay, so I'm going to write that down again. Dream, goals, action, reflection, and improve. Definitely, I love that. And I am going to put that in the show notes as well. So people make sure you check out the show notes and kind of get those five action steps down. I really, really like that a lot. So um, cool. Well, one thing you mentioned I loved also is landlording with integrity. I think we should spend a little bit of time talking about that because landlords in our industry have a really bad name, a bad impression people have with us. So what do you mean by landlording with integrity and how does that work? Mm-hmm. Well, this is a people business. For me, it is. You know, people are so important and the relationships that you establish. And starting out with integrity means that you yourself have a quality of being honest and you have a quality of having some strong moral principles that you stand behind. Honest, you're fair, you're ethical in how you, you're sincere, you're truthful, um, you're scrupulous. And then those are the, the, that's what you value, that's what you bring to it, and then your actions have to show that. So you have to have a consistency of carrying through from your values into your actions and your interactions with all people that you're working with. And it, it's not just in working with the tenants. It's also working with your business partners, working with your vendors, working with the community leaders, um, going out, you know, working with law enforcement in your area, working with the housing programs in your area, working with your neighborhood associations. And you carry that through in everything that you do, and it becomes part of the fabric of who you are and how you operate. And then you make decisions that are in alignment with that. That's cool. And I'm assuming then as a result of that, you get tenants, hopefully, that are the same way. They're tenants with integrity. I mean, that's the hope, hope, right? Well, one of the things that we do is we specialize in low-income um, housing okay. as well as mid-income housing. We do both. And not all of our tenants have been raised in a family of integrity. <laughs> not all of our tenants have been raised to understand um, how to be a tenant and how to be a good tenant. Yep. And so then part of what I do is I put forth, okay, these are our expectations. This is how you can meet our expectations. If they if they deviate from that, then bring them back into an alignment. In 19 years with 15 rental units, we've only had to do two evictions, and that's pretty good um, yeah. odds for that. And both of those, you know, it was a very uh, heart-wrenching process to go through. However, we followed through on what we said we were going to do, and we stood with integrity. And both of those tenants, you know, interacted with us even through the eviction process in a very positive way. Yeah. And that is so important. I know as a landlord, I oftentimes get really, you know, I don't want to be the good guy and the nice guy when dealing with those kind of emotional issues and a tenant trying to screw me over because they do. And and when they mm-hmm. like, I just want to like, you know, I just want to be a jerk to them. Uh, but at least if mm-hmm. I can hold up the integrity on my side of things, you know, I can't, I can't do anything about what they're going to do. They're going to do whatever they're going to do uh, mm-hmm. for the most part. But if I if I can keep my hands clean on my side, then at least they can never come back to me and say it was my fault that anything of this happened. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. and it all comes to, down to it's all about choices. And we bring that to our tenants. We'll say, you know, you have some options. You can choose this or you can choose that. And if you don't want to choose this, then the, maybe the choice you're making is to find another place to live. This <laughs> isn't working for us. You know, or if, if you're asking for these things from us and this is not what we're we have set out to provide, then, you know, maybe uh, you need to make different choices. And it's amazing how many times when you give back to the tenants and you say, 
listen, I'm going to be open and honest with you. I'm going to treat you with respect. I'm going to be fair in my dealings with you. I'm going to do things that will help, you know, show you that I value you. And you can choose to accept that or not. Your choice. And um, most people are, you know, do choose uh, to work with us and work very well with us in that process. Some of the things that I've learned in talking with tenants about different things, if they ask me to do something, even in the interview process uh, for the application process or after they're one of our tenants, they ask me to do something that I don't want to do, that it's not in our line of doing or I've decided not to, I might say that would be very difficult for me. It would be very difficult for me to do that. Um, I rarely ever say no. And I learned that from some um, cultural things that I learned about Japanese culture, about never saying no. But saying, you know, it's very, that would be very difficult for me. Or I'm not prepared to do that. But what I am prepared to do is this. And whatever it is. And and you negotiate. Everything's negotiable. Yeah. You know, and then if somebody wants to work with you, great. If they don't, you know, it is what it is. And you move on. Yeah. I, I like that. Uh, funny, me and Josh were just talking about this morning about uh, kids. When you you're, when you tell kids no flat out, it's oftentimes very difficult. Where if you can give them, well, here are your options, you know, choose A, B, or C. And that you may mention that too. Like, Giving options, mm-hmm. I think that's a terrific way to handle, especially handle conflict or if, like you said, if they're asking you to do something you don't want to do, you know, I can't do this, but here's option A, B, or C. Mm-hmm. Uh, pick one. I like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop, one of the largest commercial real estate finance and advisory services firms in the nation. As an unparalleled leader in commercial real estate, CEO Willie Walker frequently appears as an expert on major platforms like CNBC and the New York Times. He's even been on the Bigger Pockets podcast network too. On the Walker webcast, you'll hear from guests like A-Rod, renowned economist Dr. Peter Linneman, and experts from Walker & Dunlop's Capital Markets, Research, and Investment Sales Groups. So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with insights for life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. And be sure to follow Walker and Dunlop on all your favorite social media channels too. That's walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. You also mentioned, uh, you know, not all tenants are raised understanding how to be a good tenant, uh, understanding mm -hmm. how to be even like a productive member of society. Sometimes I, I notice some people, are just, they just, they weren't raised that way. Um, mm -hmm. How do you as a landlord, are, are there any specific things you can help, like, you know, help people with on how do we train a tenant to become a better you know, do you sit down with them and walk them through some kind of like rent talk or anything like that? Or mm -hmm. is it just, what, what's your process? Well, one of the things that I did is I volunteered down at our local housing authority and um, teaching some classes to people who've screwed up their rental history. You know, people who did the wrong thing. And it was a, called a Second Steps program. And it was like getting a second chance at housing. And I taught a class on money management matters. But the two most popular classes were the initial inquiry and interview. How to present yourself when you're out looking for rental. You know, how to, how to evaluate what would be a good home for you. Uh, what kind of questions to ask. And what kind of information to share with the landlord being truthful about your past history if it wasn't so good. Um, some of the people in the class had felonies on their records or had evictions on their records or other very undesirable things, how to present that in a way so that you can move forward and put that in your past. And then I also taught a class in the local program on uh, how to establish and maintain good landlord-tenant relationships. While I was teaching this class, it was just it just struck me how many people there had never ever learned how to be a good tenant. And they didn't realize that they as a tenant are as valuable as to the landlord 
as the landlord is to them, you know, that that both need each other. I, as a landlord, need good tenants. Tenants need good landlords. Yeah. 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 And I, I think part of the hard part is as a landlord, we're vilified. And I think it's rightly so in many cases, in some cases. But, you know, I also think that there's this, yeah, don't, oh man, this is going to go the wrong place. But, in, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of entitlement in society and things like that. And I, I absolutely agree that the job of a landlord is to provide a good, safe, clean place for their tenants to live. And the people who don't do that do an injustice to everybody. However, there's also those professional tenants and bad tenants who, you know, you can provide them the cleanest, safest, best property to live in. And no matter what you do, no matter how much respect you respect them, they're not going to respect you. And, you know, it creates just this, there's, there's problems and, and it's never going to be a perfect system for, for anyone. I would say you always need to take the high road, even when you're faced with that type of individual yeah. and realize that, um, your tenant screening process, of course, I, I know many, many people have talked about that, and it's it's essential. That's that's where it all begins, and is with a really good tenant screening. And we have three phases to our tenant screening. One is the telephone interview, where we do the screening and the interview. The second is the showing of the property, where we do our observations. We're observing. We're getting a lot uh, that way of more knowledge about the person who's interested in our property. And um, also, we're having conversations. And then the third part is the written application and all the background checks and really being thorough in that. And when you shortchange yourself in any of those steps, then you can get in, into a situation where you have an undesirable person uh, living there. Undesirable because they're not following the property uh, rules. They're not following the terms of the agreement. And at that point, you know, the deal is off because we start with a, an agreement and if and we bring people back to the agreement again and again until they get it right. And yep. if they don't get it right, they're on their way. Now, I've mentioned that we've only had two evictions in 19 years, but there have been many times when I've just said to the person, it looks like it's not working out for you and it's not working out for us either. Let's sit down and work out a move out plan. Yep. I think and that, then we go from there. I think Boom. that's an awesome, awesome idea. That's one of the reasons that I originally did only month to month leases. Now I do, you know, I'm starting to do more annual, but I did that because I wanted the ability just to say, hey, look, buddy, this isn't working out. Let's talk about ending your lease and having you move out. Um, I've paid people to move before. That, that hurts the pride a little bit, but I've, you know, it saved me a lot of money in lawyer fees and wrecked houses. And um, yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. I, it works out. And then, and then I'm also not, you know, when you go through an eviction, like eviction is the very last thing I ever want to do for somebody. Mm -hmm. Not yeah, mm -hmm. not just because it costs me a lot of money, but because it wrecks their future for a long time. So like that's the last case scenario. I try to do everything I can before that. And maybe that just drives me a little crazy. But I think that comes back to the the integrity, landlording with integrity thing is mm -hmm. don't mm -hmm. always. Yeah. I mean, we are in a position of power as landlords and we are in a position to help people. And we're obviously further along in financial I don't know what you'd call it, a stability. So maybe there's something that we can help them with. And I think that's maybe not our job, but maybe it's a society responsibility. I don't know. So mm -hmm. um, going back yeah. to... Uh, and, and really quick, I mean, I, I agree for the most part. I do, as somebody who has seen the absolute worst in people, uh, <laughs> in tenants that, that I've dealt with, 
you know, I get that there are folks in a position that that deserve a second chance. Absolutely. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, there are also those folks who are out there looking to take advantage of landlords and their 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 mission is to get away with what they can get away with. And, you know, there's no answer to that problem, unfortunately. I think the only answer is good screening and mm-hmm. Good screening, good screening, and talking to previous landlords, and frankly, you know, doing your diligence. And and the only way to stop those people from doing what they do is to get them to to evict them, and to to you know shout and scream from the top of your lungs to anybody who calls and asks how this guy was as a tenant, and let them know exactly how they were because. I, I don't know. I mean, otherwise, who's the next victim? Who's the next mm-hmm. victim? And and then and then ultimately, you know, does that person end up homeless? No. At some point, somebody's going to rent to them, and at some point, again, they're probably going to take advantage of them. And I guess the key is, as a real estate investor, making sure you're not that person. Absolutely, yes. And and being open and honest with other landlords as well yeah. who call you for references. I can't tell you how many times we rent to people. And they move on somewhere else and nobody calls us for a reference. I know. Same, none. Same here. None at all. Yep. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? Even our good tenants, you know, yep. the, uh, people aren't calling for references, which makes me think that there are a lot of landlords who aren't doing all their due diligence. Yep. Yeah. I said this before on a recent podcast. I think it was, I, I think in my eight years of doing this with, you know, 50, 40 some rentals now. I've gotten like four phone calls in eight years from uh, references asking. Right. About, I mean, like it's insane. I mean, I've been through hundreds of tenants now, and I've had four phone calls. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. It just shows that ninety-six yeah. percent of landlords are not doing references, which is the number one, probably most important part of the entire screening process. Yep. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it you know arguably is the number one most important thing is how have they been because that's how they're going to be. And that's why you're finding and buying cheap properties because they're out of the business. Yep. And because those yeah, those are the properties that people they can't they don't stay landlords because they can't. And those are the folks who who you know not to turn this into a big fat ad but <laughs> those I mean those are the people who we as a community need to be bringing on to bigger pockets and get them tuning into this show you know to learn these things so that they can learn to help themselves because mm-hmm. I really do think it's a shame you know you find so many people who are like accidental landlords or or you know hobby landlords I was one of them when I started you know mm-hmm. I mean I, mm-hmm. I I thought I knew what I knew and 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 that's why we have bigger pockets thank god but but, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many people who are in a position where, you know, they're getting burned left and right or they don't mm-hmm. know what they're doing or they, they just don't have the time or energy to figure it out. And, you know, sadly, they're the ones who are getting taken advantage of or who are making really bad financial decisions. It, I wish somebody could go and do a, a survey and maybe that's us at some point <laughs> to to find out what percentage of landlords are, you know, are maybe happy landlords not not that they're happy in life or what they do but they're you know not just hating what they do because they just they're lost mm-hmm. and i i bet you if more people kind of took the approach that you take uh, marsha which is you know treat people well and i and you know just be careful just mm-hmm. be careful 
And Absolutely. I, and, you know, in, in my background, I had worked 14 years in hospital management and in the risk management department and in patient relations department, uh, yep. as well as in for 10 years for a national sporting goods company in their customer service department. And what you learn, what you what I bring to my landlording skills is that knowledge of I can see through people pretty well, you know, and I know what questions to ask in order to ferret out the people who are trying to snow me in some way. Yeah. And I'll catch them right in there. But I'll do it in a, you know, I'll still have a smile on my face and I'll say, well, you know, it's just not going to work for us. Good luck. Oh, that's your situation. Hey, have you seen this website? There might be somebody out there who will will have something for you, you know, yep. <laughs> looking, you know, at, you know, sort of give them other resources to to follow. But those customer service skills are really, really important to um, to roll out in every yep. case. I've, yep. I mentioned that before that I'm always blown away at the lack of customer service skills at every property management, uh, you know, company oh, yeah. in my town. Like, they all answer the phone, just what? Like, it's just like angry phone hey. calls. Yeah, man, what do you want? <laughs> How you doing? You're bothering me. Yeah, so uh, do, you, uh, do you have any How good- How can I provide you excellent service? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, do you have any good, like, man, a good, what are some red flags that you see in those tenants? I mean, what, what stands out to you when a tenant calls you that you go, oh, this is going to be one of those tenants that I'm going to have to refer to someone else, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, what, what stands mm-hmm. out to you? Well, I have a pretty thorough telephone screening and an interview process. And then when I pick up on something, I'll ask a question a little bit different way uh, to ferret out more information. And mostly you just ask one open-ended question. And you let them talk. And uh, a lot of people will dig themselves in. Uh, it's hard to on you know come up with, you know, just all the different kinds of red flags that I see. If you look in a lot of real estate books, they have a lot of red flags. Yep. A lot of people on bigger pockets talk about red flags. But what I'm looking for, are they communicating with me in a respectful manner? Are they communicating me in an honest manner? And yeah. I don't know if they're being honest or not at that point, but I do let them know that I am very good at doing my background checks and you'd be surprised how many people just drop out right then. Yeah. You know, and I put I put it out there. But you know, that customer service piece is even I've had a, a, a tenant yell in my face that I was evil. I was a witch. <laughs> you know? Oh, oh right. Now. Yeah, yes. yeah. You know, and you just let it roll and you be flexible and you say, Yeah, I had to call the police because I was concerned for the health and well being of your children. Oh, wow. Yep. Uh, you know, and, and I'm uh, the witch, right? And I'm and I'm, I'm the witch. And then when the police <laughs> arrived and they went after her, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, I mean, her children were in endangerment, you know. Yeah. And wow. so and so you put it all into perspective and you say, you know what? You know, I care about you. I care about your children. And the reason that I do the things that I do is for us to have, you know, a safe situation here as much as can be. And, you know, it's not easy. I mean, I've gotten real frustrated with some tenants before, and I just have to take a time out, just calm down and learn how to. <laughs> can you teach my kids act, that skill? <laughs> not react. Yeah. yeah and, and to do as much preparation in advance and sort of think through after a lot of experience, you get to be able to anticipate the moves and the counter moves. I look at it like uh, much like a chess game. 
<laughs> Every move that you make, there's going to be a counter move. And you need to be prepared for that. And you need to be looking, you know, three, four, five steps ahead as to this move is going to bring this counter move. And um, understanding human nature, um, understanding tenant mentality, and even in working with people who get public entitlements, um, you know, and I don't really like that word in time entitlement. I use like they get public benefits of some sort. Okay. So there are people who abuse that system, sure. no doubt. But there are a lot of really well-deserving uh, people who um, are dependent on that system yep. and do contribute in their own way to the health of the community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Hey, I'm wondering, I know we got to, you know, slowly set to wrap this up, but I'm wondering, going back to what you talked about, you have the three-step process, basically, that you have a phone interview, you have the in-person observation, and then you have the actual, you know, application, background checks, all that kind of thing. I'm wondering, mm-hmm. uh, just because this is a, a pain point for me as a landlord, when I get a phone call from a tenant, or from a prospective tenant, they call me, and they want to go look at a property, and then I go show it to them. First of all, half the time they don't show up and then the people who do show up half the time, they're clearly not qualified despite me telling my qualification records, you know, requirements over the phone. Do you have any good tips on how to not waste time as a landlord showing units that should have never been shown in the first place or getting through the screening process and wasting your time? Like, how do you handle Um, those phone calls? Well, my my five minute screening uh, usually eliminates a lot of people. But first off, I put up on um, my online ads as much information I can about our rental criteria, but I don't have it all. But I do have that rental criteria available at the showing in in its full, you know, uh, form. However, in the telephone screening, I will ask enough questions. And the key areas I'm going to ask about a little bit about who they are, why they're looking now, uh, what kind of features they're looking for to see if it's going to be a good match for them and a good match for us. And then I'm going to go into a little bit about rental history and about income and about credit history and about legal history. And I don't shy away from any of my questions. And I ask three or four questions in each of those categories. And I am honest with people, you know, and I say, you know, that's going to be a deal breaker for us. I'll just say it just like that. Well, hmm. That, that's going to be a deal breaker for us because we don't rent to smokers, for example, or that's going to be a deal breaker for us, you know, whatever. And, and then I'll say, but however, I, you know, I know somebody who does, you know, rent to people who have horses or whatever it is, you know, yep. um, but, uh, <laughs> is yeah, that a protected it, class now? Yeah. <laughs> Horse owners, right. <laughs> but in, in that whole process, and I don't, usually uh, show the place to somebody who doesn't pass our telephone screening. Sometimes there'll be somebody who insists, but that got scary one time for me because there was a person, because while I'm telephone screening, I I must mention, I'm at my office with my computer and I'm already looking them up on the legal records in my area and I can pull up all sorts of information. I I have an unlawful detainer uh, booklet for our county that goes back seven years and I'm lawful detainers. So as I'm talking and doing the telephone screening, I will be bringing up information. And then I, if I see something, I might just sort of ask them this question. Well, can you tell me about, you know, this, you know, and usually it is them. Sometimes it's somebody with a similar name. So you have to be careful there. But then I'll sort of bring it up right at that point. 
Well, one time there was a person who was really, really pushy who wanted to see one of our houses. Well, I pulled up the legal record and she had had a personal injury claims history on a whole lot of people, including some management companies for some property owners. Mm -hmm. And I knew that if she even came to my place just to see it. It was it just to see it. There might be a possibility that she would claim an injury. Yeah. And even if it was unfounded and all of the cases I was reading about were unfounded, then I would still have to go through a legal process that I just wow. did not want to yeah, do. Yeah, that's scary. And, and that's a really, really good warning. So let's just really, really quickly repeat to people who are listening. You're going through the unlawful detainer record. Is that where that's not where you're fi finding the information on the uh, personal injury, though, is it? No, I'm looking up at, at some court in information. Okay. And where mm -hmm. where is there a spe well, some, specific certain, website? Or? Certain states have have easier access to court information than others. So there isn't anything I could say that would apply to the audience of bigger pockets. But generally, other than, you're, other you're, than, you're yeah, looking well, county I'll, courts or state I'll, courts? I'll start out with, uh, yeah, I'll start out with uh, Washington state courts. Okay. And it won't give me everything on that site. And they've closed down a lot of things that were, used to be more open. But even if I, um, certain court records are available for viewing of the public if you go down to the courthouse. Hopefully you don't have to get to that point. Yeah. yeah. But um, it's just that, you know, when people start asking me questions in a way that start shooting off multiple red flags, and then I'm seeing just how many times that they were, you know, either a defendant or a plaintiff in superior court, yeah. then that's going to sort of clue me in that I need to dig deeper. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I can dig deeper, you know, in terms of my interview on the phone. And it gets really touchy because, you know, some people say, well, you can't discriminate. You can't, you know, you have to allow everybody to have an application. You have to allow everybody to see your property. And I haven't bought into that. You know, everybody has a right to seek out housing, you know, and then I have a right to say, well, this is my minimum criteria to rent. And if you share something with me that off the bat shows that you, you're not going to meet our minimum criteria, you know, I don't have to get out of my office and go down and show you my place. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. And, and, and as long as you're just you know, following all, all not discriminating against protected mm -hmm. classes and anything else, then you, yeah, you have a right to screen how you see fit mm -hmm. as long as it's you know within the law. And, and I, I don't see an issue doing what you do whatsoever. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think it's probably a smart and safe way to go. And if there's any lawyers out there who, who <laughs> well, would the care to is, prove that that's not true, I'm sure yeah. we'd all love to hear it. But the, uh, the key is to ask the same questions of every single right. person who inquires. Yep. Yeah. I think... You know, I think you you hit it really well. I mean, I, I'm going to have my wife and my, uh, you know, the lady who answers all our phone calls both listen to this interview just because I want like, you know, they do the majority of the answering the phones. And I know we waste a lot of time uh, with tenants that we should never show properties to. So I like your idea of, you know, spending a lot more time digging in on the initial phone call. You know, I think what we do a lot more of is, you know, well, here is the property. Here's a description. Uh, here is our qualifications. Three times monthly rent, no felonies you know, would you like to see the property? But I think mm -hmm. a little bit deeper digging in the beginning also would help probably weed out those who are just tire kickers. You know, like they don't mm -hmm. want to waste their time on a five minute phone call if they're calling 30, you know, ad or phone numbers in the newspaper. So right. I think uh, that's great. Really great. Yeah. Cool. Um, last question for me and then uh, we'll probably move on. Do you, I, I'm wondering how you advertise your vacancies. 
I mean, are you doing Craigslist or newspaper? Oh, we've done a number of things over the years. You know, in the old days, we used to, you know, just put a sign up. Then the internet, I mean, we started doing rental property before the internet, too, on my in-law's side. Um, And they used to use the newspapers. But, of course, that's not used anymore. Everything's online these days, it seems. And we find that one of my favorite, favorite um, websites is Padmapper. P-A-D-M-A-P-P-E-R dot com, PadMapper. And I refer a lot of people who are seeking housing to PadMapper because it takes its listings from Craigslist, from Padlister, from ForRent, from Housing Connections, from a number of online sources. And uh, that's that's a, a great thing. So I might list on Padlister, which is related to PadMapper, or uh, most often in my area, Craigslist works. But Craigslist is a place you have to be very, very careful because there's a lot of scammers uh, yeah. that work Craigslist. And so if you go that route, however, um, I used to put out signs as well each time, but usually the people who saw the signs, they didn't know anything about the property because they hadn't looked at the ad. Yeah. And if I did have a sign, I'd have to say, please look at the ad first so that before you talk to me. Uh, but now I found this last time I had two vacancies I put an ad up at 8.30 p.m. on a Sunday on Craigslist and said to only call between 8 and 8, 8 p.m., 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. The next day, the phone rang. I had two days of phone calls. Then Tuesday, I showed it. And Wednesday, I had three applications. And Thursday, I was doing the background checks and made the offers on Friday. And I had somebody move in on Saturday morning. Oh, cool. And it just uh, happens that quick. But there were for those those ads, there were probably over 100 phone calls that came in. And so you have to dedicate yourself to be ready to answer the phone. Once you put the ad out, you have to be ready and you have to be um, streamlined enough to go through the calls really quick. Yep. Yeah. That's Makes great. Sense. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's great. And I, I think there's there's a lot of a lot of great info that folks can learn. I, I think. Um, I want to reiterate something that you said that I think was extremely important, which is make sure that you screen everybody uniformly. That mm-hmm. way, nobody's got any excuse or reason why they can say, "Oh, well, these are the six questions I got, and they seem pretty, you know, pretty weird." And suddenly, you know, they go and find out that you're asking varying questions to varying people, and and arguably somebody can go up and say that you're trying to discriminate for whatever reason and, mm-hmm. and clearly you're not. Uh, so, you know, just kind of wanted to reiterate that. And, and, and otherwise, you know, again, I think just being careful, you know, we, I try as much as possible to tell people to be safe. There really are a lot of scammers out there and, you know, finding a way to make sure that those folks don't, uh, don't show up in your properties mm-hmm. is really, really important. But And make, make sure also when you go show the property that someone else knows that you're going to show the property and who you're showing the property to, Yeah, you know, and have that information. I had one time when I was showing a property and the person started to, to get a little out of hand. Um, while I was showing it and started yelling at me because I was asking too many questions and this and that. And and she, w- she was just totally going off base. Well, uh, the gal who helps us with our properties was nearby in ear range and she immediately came up the door. Everything all right? Yeah. You know, knocked on the door. Everything all right? I said, we were just leaving. 
and we and, and I left out and I said, you know what, I'm going to give you your application and your application uh, money back because yeah. we're not going to process this application. Yeah. 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 All yeah, right. So. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, I think it's it's time for the fire round. All right, the fire round. These questions all come from the Bigger Pockets forum, so I'm going to fire match you. See what you say. Uh, number one, somebody calls you from out of state and wants to pay the full lease in advance. Are you comfortable with that? And what would you do? Two words: Pacific Heights. Absolutely uh, no. Really? <laughs> I. I Funny thing, I've never actually seen Pacific Heights, even though everyone, tells me, I, everyone tells me I need to. But is that what happens on there? Well, he pays he pays way in advance, and yeah. Is he like a druggie? Drug so, so somebody calls from out of state. Okay, let me back up. Come let on, me tell us up, the story. You know? we're, we're too young. <laughs> no, no, no. You can get it on DVD. You can you can download it on What's the internet. DVD? I'm sure. It's a great it's a great show. It's a thriller. It's a landlording thriller and you've got to see it if you work with uh, in the <laughs> realm of landlording. Um, if a person calls from out of state and you're saying that they want to see the property, they, they want to pay down on un- property unseen. Is that what I heard? They want to pay in advance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you're a year in advance. Yeah. Well, one thing we only do month to month rental agreements. Okay. Um, uh, for two, if I did enter into a longer lease arrangement, I would still have them pay the monies month to month and not in advance. And if they're from out of state and I haven't been able to properly vet them and, you know, and go through the, I can, I have rented to people who moved in from out of state. I have no problem with that. But if they're out of state, they need to go through my application process. And my application process does require me to meet them at the property, as well as have them fill out all the applications and for me to check their ID and all of that. But if they called from out of state, I'd I'd do the interview with them on the phone. And then I'd say, when will you be in town? And and go from there. That's great. That's great. Cool. All right. What's your best landlording tip for turning a rental unit over? So. Ooh, this is a good one because we just finished uh, a turnover in two weeks and we usually take more like two months. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we have not been so good in our history of uh, turning properties over real quick. And my husband is a professional pianist entertainer, as I told you, and I'm a professional sign language interpreter. So our hands and fingers are very important to us. <laughs> so we do not try to get into anything that can damage us and our and our hands the tools of our trade and so the the best tip is to get a really good team in place and bring them in and to have a process you have to have a process of you know you trash out and then you you know you do certain things in a certain order yeah and and that works best but but and you have a timeline too and we recently read an article in one of our local landlord newspapers about how to turn a place in three days so we posted it up in our mirrors uh, you know in our and we're brushing our teeth we're gonna okay we're gonna do it in three days this time well (laughs) we couldn't because we had to replace floor covering and everything but you have to stay on it and have a good team in place yeah, no, that's that's great, and I'm glad you came across that article because I wrote it. No, I didn't write it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm glad you came across that article because I, you know, when I hear two weeks, I start get, having palpitations. I that you know, un- unless there's floor covering or something. I mean, you know, pretty extreme. I, 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 I think that's a 
even two weeks is a pretty long time for a turnover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, mm-hmm. We're probably so, well, we're, and part of it is because it depends on the extent of yeah. uh, if it's just a turnover yeah. or is it a, a rehab turnover? Right. There's right, a right, difference. Right. No, and I, agreed. The, agreed. The uh, apartment yeah. we just finished needed all new paint, ceiling, walls, all new floor covering, all new countertops, etc. Yeah. So yeah, it's okay. certainly going to take longer. Yeah. I'm probably like an right average of a week, probably a turnover unit. I'm guessing beginning to end. If it needs like yeah. new carpet and stuff, maybe maybe two weeks. You got to wait for the yeah. carpet guy. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, cool. All right. Question number three. If you wanted to raise rents on your tenants, how do you inform them? Do you have any good tips on informing tenants their rent is going up? Yeah, I just use a standard form that I filled out called a rent raise letter. And uh, in it, I tried not to say too much because you don't need to say too much. Um, Simplicity is good in this case. Tenants don't really want to know all your reasons why you're feeling the need to raise the rent. But they, and then I I time it um, so that if I like to do most of my rent raises in May, effective May 1, I just sort of like May Day, you know, I like that. (laughs) And if if people decide that they don't want to go along with it, it's easier to rent at that time of year if I need to turn the apartment over. Uh, but I don't raise rent every year. And um, that's the one, you know, my longest term tenant is with us 26 years. Wow. And that's good. And we have a number of other tenants who've been over 10 years with us. And their rents are not way below market, but they might not be right at market. They're like $30 off market right now, yep. which is not much. Um, and so we have raised, when I do do a rent raise, I usually combine it with some kind of upgrade in their apartment at the same time. Something that I've already been thinking about doing. And I do that upgrade and then I do the rent raise. And for some reason, the tenant seems to equate, well, I am getting something better, you know, and it makes sense that I have to pay more now. So yeah, cool. Right on, right on. All right, your tenant uh, pulls up and and parks his 18-foot boat in the front of your property. What do you do? We have in our rental agreement um, rules about parking and about things that can fit in a standard parking space or not. Yeah. And if the vehicle is brought onto the premises, then they'd be in violation of our rental agreement and they would get what we call a parking violation. A move it or lose it warning. <laughs> a little form that I have that I put uh, and I talk to them about it and I say, so you're going to need to find another place for your part, your your boat. Now, one of our tenants happens to be a long distance truck driver yeah. and he parks his, his 18 wheeler on a side street where he's allowed to by uh, in our city in this particular spot, not all places. But the person parked the boat in front of the property and they were in violation of the city ordinance, then they would also be in violation of our rental agreement because in our rental agreement, we have a, a term that they have to be in compliance with all city ordinances. Yeah. And so we would inform them of the city ordinance and we'd talk to them about moving it. There you go. Cool. Right on. All right. Good deal. Well, let's, let's wrap this thing up and get to our favorite section of the show, which we affectionately call the famous four. All right, the famous four. These questions we ask everyone. And I know you listen to our show, so you know what's coming up. First question we have for you. What is your favorite real estate book? Landlording by Lee Robinson. And its subtitle is A Handy Manual for Scrupulous 
landlords and landladies who do it themselves. That was the very first book I ever had. It's had many editions, and it is the tried and true one that I go back to more often than any other. Cool. Gotcha. I have not read that yeah. one yet, so I'll yeah. check it out. And there's another book that I found in the library that I liked. It's called The Landlord's Handbook. Okay. And that is by Daniel Goodman and Richard Rusdorf. And its subtitle is A Complete Guide to Managing Small Residential Properties. Nice. Never Great. heard of that one either. Yeah, mm-hmm. me either. Cool. Fabulous. Fabulous. All right. What about business books? Any, any favorite business books pop out? Well, the one that I have been reading this past year that I really like is called Your Best Year Yet. And it's by Ginny Ditzler. What's the what's and the uh, its sub its subtitle is the ten questions that will change your life forever. Gotcha. And it has mm. a lot about goals and goal setting. A lot of information there on that. Nice. Another one I like is called the Customer Rules, and it's by Lee Cockerell, and it's subtitled the Thirty Nine Essential Rules for Delivering Sensational Service. Nice. Nice. And Good. then the, the last one oh, the list goes for on. everything <laughs> for life is Enthusiasm Makes the Difference by Norman Vincent Peale. Right Good, on. Good choices. I have not heard of really any of those. I heard yeah. of a couple of them, but I've never read any of them. So I love yeah. new, new book recommendations. Always good. Right on. Right on. What, what about hobbies? What do you do for fun, Marsha? Well, I like to travel. Uh, my husband is an employee with, with a cruise line, and he plays ah, in there. cool. I was at, wondering that earlier when you said he played piano and he's entertainment. I thought, <laughs> yeah, what if he's he plays the on a piano cruise? bar entertainer for a major cruise line. So That's we get cool. to go a lot of places. He's been doing that for over 10 years, oh. as well as locally. And um, I like outdoor human powered sports. I like yoga and meditation. And I like crossword puzzles. Nice. And Scrabble, cool, and chess, and reading. But I most, mainly read for information, not novels. Right on. Ah, cool. You and I should yep. play chess someday. We'll have fun. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I'm actually not very good at all, but actually, Scrabble's my my forte. I, I, I would take you on in Scrabble. I'm not very good at that either, but I have fun with it. <laughs> all right, last question of the famous four: What do you believe sets apart successful landlords from those who fail? Belief in oneself. A supportive family and friends. And if you're not born into a supportive family and friends, you can quickly find a supportive family on Bigger Pockets. Let me tell you, when oh, I discovered uh, Bigger Pockets six months ago, I wondered what took me so long, you know, <laughs> and I have just been, I've been in the forum so much. <laughs> I haven't even explored the depth of the website and all that you guys have set up for us. Uh, really having integrity being truthful and honest to yourself, knowing when you go forth, know that you can do this and be honest with yourself. And if you're lacking something, go seek out what you're lacking because nice. the information's out there. I like that. I like that, especially the, uh, the compliment on bigger pockets. Yeah, <laughs> nice. I mean, I mean, we really, it really is kind of a family. Uh, you know, you got the guys who like to you know, yell and scream. You got the, you know, the, the, the you know, the, the drunken uncle. You got, you know, Brandon over there, and you got all these. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, my, my husband Eddie. and I both work late, and I sometimes get home before he does. Yeah. And when he comes in the house, he'll come back to my office, and he goes, "Oh, are you on the computer with your bigger pocket friends again?" Huh? <laughs> and I go, "Yep." <laughs> nice. And when he goes, and when he goes out on the ship. 
And uh, we talk to each other, you know, every day when he's out on the ship, he'll be gone for, you know, 30 to 45 days at a time. And I will be at home running all the rental property business when he's gone. But we talk every day. And then I'll share with him things I learned on bigger pockets. And then at one point, I found out he joined Pigger Pockets oh, in man. order to watch what I was doing. Oh, he's oh, he's he thinks you're cheating on him. He's, he's not active. He's not active other than re- he reads Bigger Pockets. He, he doesn't post, but he joined Bigger Pockets so he could see not to watch out on me because we have a great, strong, trust relationship. But he was excited by what I was sharing with him. That's great. That's yeah. Great. All right, Marsha. So before we let you go, where can people find out more information about you? You got a website or, or? I don't have a website. I don't have much of an online presence, but you can find me on Bigger Pockets, and right. I'm very act. I'm very active in the landlord forum. That's cool. great, and we we That's, do thank you for that. We do like, indeed. Yeah, you offer some really great advice. That's what you know yeah. stood out. That's why we asked you to be on the show because I know you offer a thank lot of you. great advice. So. Yeah. Right on. Well, thanks so much, Marsha. We really, really do appreciate you being here today. And, and we also appreciate you getting involved and in being active on the site. And, and we'll look forward to hearing about uh, that next purchase in about a year. Uh-huh. Well, we're already looking, we're already looking at properties now. With right on. Idea. 2015, then 2020. 2015, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we might bump it up. Who knows? We might. It's just the year that we buy. We like we one time we bought an eightplex. Who knows what we're going to buy next year? Yeah, go crazy, yeah. go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Marsha. Marcia, All right, thank, thank you, you very so much. much. Thank you. All right, bye. All right, guys, that was our interview with Marsha Maynard here on the Bigger Pockets podcast. You know, it's people like Marsha that make. Uh, I, I really do think that that make Bigger Pockets a special place that it is. I love that she called it a family because I think. I think a lot of us feel the same way. I, I know one of our previous uh, guests called Bigger Pockets his mistress. Uh, <laughs> so that was Michael Quarles. Anyway, yeah, it makes makes me happy to to hear that people feel that way, and and uh, I appreciate it. And anyway, there's tons of uh, great tips in today's show, and and I, I definitely appreciate you guys uh, having a listen. Yeah. And like we said in the introduction, I said earlier, if you want to download that exact questionnaire that Marsha uses to screen all of her tenants on the phone. Just go to biggerpockets.com slash show 83 and I will put a link there so you can go download it. So definitely, definitely download that uh, today. Right on, right on. And finally, if you're not following us on Facebook, Twitter, G+, LinkedIn, YouTube. YouTube, that's right. Follow mm-hmm. us on YouTube. Please do. Also, if you have not yet left us a rating on iTunes, we would really, really, really love it if you did that. We've got tens of thousands of listeners for each of our shows and we're still under a thousand reviews on iTunes for the podcast. Uh, We'd definitely love to get that crunk up a little bit. So uh, again, if you have not yet done so, please do. Finally, and most importantly, if you walk away and do anything after listening to the show, please jump in, get active on bigger pockets. Don't be the black sheep of our family who sits on the outside. Yes, I'm talking to you. Yeah, yeah. Feel guilty? Yeah, you should because you're not doing anything. Black sheep. Black sheep. Black sheep. No. <laughs> no. Listen, make an effort. Join the conversation. Start networking, learning, growing your business, engage. And it's not going to happen overnight, but by getting involved, you'll certainly reap the benefits. So uh, 
you know, don't don't just sit there with an empty profile. Have a have a profile that's filled out that's full of uh, cool conversation with people. Yep. That's it. Let's get out of here. This was episode eighty three of the Bigger Pockets podcast, and I am your host. Signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.